The sermon text reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Well, we continue this morning in our series called Gifts, looking at spiritual gifts. And uh, I don't know about you, but it, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard teaching on the gifts. Uh, but it's so important that we, we spend some time here. And what Paul does here in Ephesians chapter 4 is he connects the gifts to our calling. That's what we're doing today. We're connecting what does it mean to have gifts and what does it mean to have a calling and how do we connect those together. And very at the outset, let me say this. This is sort of the most important phrase in the text, in my opinion. And it's when he says, walk in a worthy manner of your calling. Walk in a worthy manner of your calling. Now, the reality is there's a gap between what we're called to live, how we're called to live, and how we actually live. We all know that. Andrew Sullivan, who is a blogger, former writer for New Republic, he said this, What does it matter how strictly you proclaim your belief in various doctrines if you do not live as these doctrines demand? Great question, Andrew. It's the gap. This morning we want to address the gap, and we want to do it through the lens, again, of looking at what does it mean to have a calling? What is that calling? This morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at two callings. There's a a calling for, for us all in general. But then there's a second calling that's more distinctive to who we are. You're going to see that it's like two pieces of a puzzle that relate one to another. Then we're going to conclude by simply asking, how is it possible? How is it possible that we could actually fulfill this calling that Paul lays out here in Ephesians 4? So verses 1 through 3, this is where we begin. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is writing to the church that he planted in Ephesus. Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire, only behind Rome itself. Twelve, thirteen years ago, we actually went there and we saw the ruins, and it is still, even two millennia later, a beautiful place to tour and see And Paul's writing to this church about a number of things. In the first three chapters, he writes about who they are. He talks about their identity. And so you'll come across uh, pretty well-known phrases and passages, and especially like places like Ephesians chapter 2, where it's by grace that you've been saved, and this is not of yourself. 
not by works, so that no one shall boast. And so he talks about this idea that you have received grace. And he talks with them that they are the new Israel. Like they are, they are the fulfillment. They are God's people. And it's through Christ that they've been made his people. And you've been given the gift of grace. So he, what some commentators and theologians call the indicative. It indicates who they are. But notice what happens here in verse 1. What's the very first word? Therefore. Now, let me teach you a little something about how to study Scripture. Whenever you see a therefore, you should stop and ask the question, what's it there for? You like that? I worked hard on that. Right? Uh, what's it there for? Like, whenever you see that, it means there, there's been a shift in something. And so he's been for three chapters talking about this is who you are. But in chapter 4, he says, now go out and do it. It's like the, the, one of the formulas in movies. I mean, so many movies use formulas. And that's not a bad thing. It works. Lord of the Rings, Frodo, Rocky. Like these are characters. Remember, the hero's journey, as it were, is that at some point in the hero's journey, they forget who they are. You know what I'm talking about? Like in every movie, it's like that. Adventure movies, Marvel movies, comics, whatever. Like they, they forget who they are. And some character, it's a coach, it's a Gandalf, it's someone who comes along and says, remember who you are. Now why? Because Frodo, you've got a job to do. Right? Frodo, remember who you are so that you can make your way to Mordor. And so what, what Paul is doing here, beginning in chapter 4, therefore, now in light of this, walk in a manner worthy of him. In light of who you are, in light of the gifts of grace that you've received through Jesus Christ, now walk in a worthy manner of him. This is your calling, as it were, here. And then we get to verse 3 where he says, now, I want you to maintain unity with eagerness. Maintain unity. Notice he didn't say, I want you to create unity. You know, think about organizations like the United Nations. They have peacekeeping forces, right? Which is, some people say, is it really a peacekeeping force? There's not any peace there to keep, typically. But the United Nations, like the whole idea of united nations. This is the whole idea that we can create peace. And Paul says, look, in some sense, that may be true, but, but in the indicative sense, in the true sense, we already have peace. We already have something together in Christ that the world is made for. And so in light of, of who you are, maintain this unity, maintain this peace, maintain this life with others here. And Paul says, God's going to lead you through that. And it's this picture that says that to put on Christ, right, is to look like him. I love what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says, he works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, he works on us through each other. Men are mirrors or carriers of Christ to other men. Usually it is those who know him that bring him to others. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing him to one another is so important. It is so easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services. Now listen to this. The church exists for no other purpose but to draw men into Christ, to make them a little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful you know whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose reason. That is provocative. But I think it's true. It, you know, I used to, I've shared this with you before, that at one point I wanted to be uh, 
well, go into politics or something like that. We're joking about that with some people during the break. I was a political science major, but did you know, you, you don't know this, but did you know that before that I wanted to go into the Foreign Service? Now, this is where, you know, the State Department, things like that, this is where ambassadors come from. Now, I think about how opinionated I am today. It never would have worked. Because an ambassador is never supposed to have their own opinions. You know that, right? So when we send an ambassador to, let's say, France, you know, an ambassador doesn't go to, to France and say, well, this is what I think about your French fries, you know, or what, something like that. Terrible accent. Terrible. So sorry. Like, they don't uh, have their own opinions. Why? Because they only have one opinion, and that is the president. Or whoever the leader is for that country. They are supposed to just represent. They're supposed to look like the person they represent. Same for us. With Christ, who is the King of Kings. We're to be ambassadors for Christ, Paul is saying here. We're to mirror him. To, be, to present little Christ to the world, as it were. Walk in a manner worthy of him. And then he says, beginning in verse 4, it's about oneness. About this unity. So, he delves in here. So nine times in the first opening verses here, he uses the word one. Uh, and then it's like seven times in just verse four alone. One word, one faith, uh, one love, right? You know, there's that uh, Bob Marley movie that's coming out this year. Any reggae fans in here? You know, Ziggy or Bobby? Bob, there? Uh, yes, we were just, Carly and I were just talking about this movie. It looks pretty good. And, you know, it's all about one love, right? Well, Paul wouldn't disagree, actually. He'd say, oh, it's about one love, but I want to tell you what that one love looks like. And so he says one word, one faith, one Father, one Lord. And this is what's called a Trinitarian uh, vision here. And so what is the Trinity? It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the Lord there being Lord Jesus Christ, and you see one Spirit, one Father. And what is the Trinity? The Trinity is a community of persons. It's a perfect community living in perfect harmony, perfect love, Perfect fellowship, perfect everything. And what Paul is saying is, this is what I want you to look like. I want, to, I want you to look like trying God. Like sharing love, and out of that love comes life to the world. How important is that in our day and age? I mean, we've always lived in a fractured world since Genesis 3. That's when the world got fractured. But oh my gosh, do you feel it? Do you feel it today? Maybe it's because it's campaign season. I don't know. But, I mean, it feels more fractured than ever before. I was just reading an article just two days ago saying that it's not just like, you know, you've got Democrats on one side, Republicans on one side, liberals and conservatives. No, within the party itself, you have this massive fracture, and it doesn't feel like you can come back. It feels like you're, you're competing against people who ideologically you, quote, unquote, agree with, and yet you don't. I mean, and we try so hard, don't we? We try so hard to... To, to create unity, we call for Why can't we all just get along is the mantra. And yet we can't, we don't. And Paul says, you need one love, one faith, one Father, one Lord Jesus Christ, one Spirit, one community. When our priorities are right as to what love is and where love goes, everything else falls into place. Like when, here's the thing, and we live in a day and age, I've talked about this with my kids so often, we live in a day and age where we are so fractured around our identities. And our identities are our individual characteristics, mind you. Like it's our ethnicity. It's our ideology, our politics. It's our culture. It's the country that we're from. We could go on and on and on. This is the world we live in. It's identity politics. And it's killing us as a people. 
It were so fractured as a result. And Paul says, look, you have to look beyond your individual characteristics. Now, he's going to second talk about those individual characteristics, but that is not what defines you. He says what defines you is what's one, the oneness. The oneness we have with God and the description of the love that comes with that. And then what is the evidence? In verse 2, he gives what sometimes is referred to as the four graces. He says four things there. He says humility, gentleness, patience, love. He says a community that has that. And so this may be your very first Sunday at City Church. You're saying, I'm here. I'm checking this place out. Heard about it. I want to check it out. Let me tell you what part of your benchmark should be for whether or not to stay. You look at this community called City Church, and that's what you see. Do you see humility, patience, gentleness, and love? If you do, man, you have a great reason to stay. But if we're not that sort of community, find another. Because this is what Paul says the church should be. The call for us is to be this sort of church into the world. And let me say this in closing the first point. What does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't mean that Christianity is a way of life. It is that, but it's so much more than that. It is the life of God and the way of Jesus in us. The very life of God, the very spark of what it means that he is God living in us And he says, the patience, the gentleness, the humility, exercising the love. He says, this is the life of God into the world. And so what Paul does here in the opening verses, he says, I'm going to highlight that your calling is to be unified. Your calling is to put yourself down, as it were, and raise others up. But look what he begins to say in verse 7. He begins to talk about a second calling that works with the first one. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, the word here for grace is the same for gift often. Uh, charis, charismata, that sort of thing, gifts. And, and so when we see the word uh, gift here, it means grace. It means that you've been given good things, not because you deserved it, but because he wanted you to have it. And then beginning in verses 11 and 12, we get another one of four or five different places in Paul's writings where he gives a list of specific gifts, specific callings, as it were. Listen to what he says there. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, this is just one list. But, but and maybe uh, having taken the assessment, you say, oh, I saw myself a little bit in that list there. Or maybe it was what we did last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Or maybe it's one of the other lists of Paul. But whatever it is, wherever you find it, what's the purpose of your gifts? See, this is it. Listen, the purpose of your gifts is to build up the church. You have distinctive, unique individual gifts, but the purpose of the gifts, Paul says, here is to build up the body of Christ. He uses that body image. We talked at length about that last week, remember? Think about the body for a second. Uh, what kind of systems does the body have? We've got a nervous system, circulatory system, digestive system, and on and on and on. What happens when, for instance, the nervous system doesn't work properly? Right? Ever, ever had that happen in your body? I was reading an article in the New York Times about a young girl. She's now 20-something. At the time, she's about 12 or 13. She has a condition that's extremely rare. Only one of 100 people in the world who have her condition. Her name is Ashlyn Blocker, and Ashlyn cannot feel pain. She cannot feel pain. You could poke her and prod her all day long. You know, I was at the dentist the other day, and they're 
they gave me, you know, the numbing solutions, and they stick, the, you know, the, the, they're like poking, and I can't feel anything. Uh, it felt great. You know, a couple hours of not feeling pain. Okay, fine. She can't feel pain at all. But you know what happens when you can't feel pain? People will say, man, Ashlyn, that must be amazing not to feel pain. She goes, oh, no, quite the opposite. It's terror. Because when you and I get close to a hot stove, and we feel that heat, or maybe you actually brush by it and you actually hit it, what does Ashlyn do? She doesn't remove her hand. Her whole body is, is filled with the evidence of a nervous system that doesn't work. And she, she'll take things in. Food, food is way too hot. Scalding her digestive system. So when one system doesn't work, the rest of it doesn't work. It impacts the rest of the body. And what Paul says is that, that, that we have to not just know what our gifts are, but then we have to leverage our gifts so that the rest of the body works the way it's supposed to. Isn't that beautiful? It's a vision. There's a word that, that we don't often use anymore. It's a bit antiquated. It shouldn't be, but uh, so I'm going to try to bring it out of antiquity here. It's the word vocation. Ever heard that word vocation? You know, often today we talk about career. We talk about uh, our work. But the word vocation comes from the Latin vocare, vocal cords. Sounded out, right? Pun intended, like vocal cords, vocare, it means to call. So vocation, we used to talk in, in years past that, that we all have a vocation. And what Paul says, your vocation is more than what you do nine to five. It's more than monetizing your gifts and learning how to, to make money. It's about what is your mission, what is your call? And, and Paul says, our primary calling is to build up the body of Christ. Secondarily, it is to make a living. It is to, you know, do fun stuff with your skills and talents and things like that. He says, but our primary calling is first to build up the body of Christ. Let me tell you why that's so important, because there's several dangers that happen when we separate calling from gifts. Here's the first one. You burn out. Ever, ever get close to burnout? Or maybe you're saying, man, I've been there, Scott. I was with a group of pastors this past week. I was leading a retreat. I do these periodically for about six pastors. And I had done some writing for Mark chapter 1, some spiritual writing on how ministry connects to rest. And in particular, what you see there is that Jesus is under pressure. He's been doing some amazing ministry. Then he withdraws into the wilderness to spend time alone with the Father. And you know what the disciples do? If you remember our Mark series, we're coming back to that, by the way, in two weeks. But remember, early on in Mark, about a year and a half ago, 18 months ago, that's where we were, chapter 1. And if you were there, if you remember that, we said that all the disciples are coming and say, say you got to get back to the village, Jesus. Like, there's so much going on here. Like, you got more ministry to do. And he says, nope. My calling, remember, my calling is to go to the next village. And I looked at those pastors. I said, when was the last time someone told you, pastor, to leave ministry undone? And you could see it was like a mic drop. They've never heard of that before. You mean I don't have to do it all? Let me tell you, in the pastorate, it is a common refrain. Burnout is, ex- I mean, it is so common. One of the things I said in my article was said, Jesus is exhausted. He's pressed to the point of stress. Of course, he's then eventually murdered. But Jesus never burns out. Why? Because he knew his calling. 
He knew where he ended and the other person began. We need to hear that, friends. Some of you are burning out because you're on your own mission and it's not God's mission. God would never call you to burn out. God never plans to exhaust you and use you and then toss you aside. That's burnout. Burnout is a sign that we're on someone else's mission other than God's. And maybe if you're a people pleaser, maybe someone else's mission, it could be yours. But it is a sign to us that we're, we're off the track, as it were. And it leads to a second thing. And that is we, we can tend to look at the gifts rather than as gifts, right? Humility given to us instead as my talents, my skills. And that leads to superiority complex, self-righteousness. It leads to more fracture, uh, fracturing the community. I think this is so burnout and, and superiority complex. Those are two threats to unity that happens when we don't connect gifts to calling. That's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see that you can't, it's two sides of the same coin. You can no more appreciate and embrace your gifts than you can also the calling of the Lord to use those gifts. Once we do that, once we separate them, it leads to disaster, as it were here. And what I want you to see is where Paul ends this passage, at least the one that we're looking at today, in verses 13 and 14. But let me just read verse 13 to you. Listen to what he says here about what happens when we get this right. This is after saying, building up the body of Christ, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the first thing that he does here, he says, when we exercise the gifts, when we connect them to calling, when we understand our own personal callings as part of the greater calling, the first calling that we talked about already, once we get that, we experience maturity, spiritual maturity. And then in verse 14, which we read at the very end there, remember what he said there. He says, rather than being tossed around like children. Now, the word here actually is infants. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Is an infant just as alive as you are? Yes. Like, by the way, any new parent in this room would say, oh, yeah, 3 a.m. Three in the morning. They are super alive. <laughs> like, I want them to sleep, and they are super alive. Like, some of you remember those days. We remember them. It's just been a long time ago. You know, that, that's, they're super alive. And yet you would say, yeah, but their energy is, is all over the place. And that's what he's saying here. Don't be tossed around to and fro. He says, when you are cut off from your purpose, when you're cut off from your, your meaning, when you're cut off from God's mission in your life, you're going to be just tossed around. If you're a people pleaser, it'll be someone else's mission or it'll be yours, but you'll be all over the place. You'll be exhausted. You're going to die out in the wilderness. That's what he's saying, friends. He said, but when you are on mission with God, joining God as family on mission for the renewal of all things, what happens? Maturity. And it's singular. He says, this maturity of manhood. He says, now all these parts, disparate parts taken into one, the body. The body of Christ. Mature manhood being Christ himself. It's like the pieces of a puzzle. We've been doing this for five weeks now. And next week, by the way, I'm going to actually take one of the gifts and we're going to do a deeper dive into just one of the gifts as an example. But today ends essentially kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And what happens when you're building a puzzle and you're putting all the pieces together? Suddenly you see the image, what it was supposed to be all along. That's what today is. So this whole time I've been talking about gifts, gifts, gifts. But today, the last piece, calling. To connect it to the calling 
that you have. And so, in just about 30 minutes, you have a chance to grow in maturity through the training. You see, here's the deal. I've been saying this all along. Last time I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it because I want to say it. Okay? If this morning you don't know your gifts, okay, you need to learn your gifts. I mean, Paul has been very clear here to say, man, it, you, you have gifts. If you don't know your gifts, this is immaturity. I'm just going to say it because Paul says it here. But then not only that, he says, but then you have to train your gifts. Like when you receive, you have skills. We all have skills. But here's the reality. You know, if, if you're a musician, you're not a rock star musician when you first pick up that guitar. You have to train your muscles. You have to train your, your brain to hear that tune. You have to train everything. There's a, there's a discipline. Listen, part of what this today is about is being disciplined. It's about discipleship. This training that we're doing here. By the way, we have plenty of food for you. And so if you did not sign up, I'm just going to look at me like, oh, is this true? If you did not sign up, you still want to come. We want you there. Because we want you to grow in maturity. Because if you're not doing that, you're growing in immaturity. You see, a body either grows or declines. Let me say that again. Your body is either growing or declining based upon how you treat your body. And the same thing is true of your spiritual body. It is either growing towards maturity or it will remain in immaturity. And so what we're calling the people of City Church Eastside to be in 24 is a more mature body of Christ. Like all of us, myself included. It's not just you, it's me too. None of us have arrived. We are all on a journey. The question is, whose journey are we on? You see, but listen, I could conclude there, but I'm not. Mike said, don't be long-winded. I'm not. I think I'm doing pretty good, huh, Mike? Yeah, all right, thank you. But I do want to say this at the close. All right, how's it possible? How's it possible? Remember, first three chapters of Ephesians, for it's by grace you've been saved. This is not of yourself. So grace comes from him. Listen to what he says in verse 8. This is remarkable, in my opinion. Therefore, oh, there's another therefore. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this is a quote directly from Psalm 68. But what Paul does is he repurposes that quote Talk about the kings of old, someone like David, and repurposes it for Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Now, here's what would happen in the ancient days. There's a great battle that gets fought. And when that king or that emperor wins, what do they do? They come back to Rome. They come back to the home, and what do they do? They throw a massive parade, right? They throw a massive parade, ticker tape parade through, through New York City after D-Day, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, after World War II was ended. Or maybe it's Mardi Gras, if that's your symbol this time of the year. Fine, fantastic, confetti everywhere. But what, what it says is that when he comes through, we don't throw gifts to him. He throws gifts to us. What does that mean then? He throws gifts. Remember grace. And then remember what he says just a few verses later. Let me tell you about those grace gifts. Apostles, evangelists, and so forth. All of our gifts in this room. You know what that means? Jesus Christ is the victor over sin and death. He's the victor over chaos, and he throws a party. He throws a military parade. He throws a V-Day celebration. You are his V-Day celebration. You know what that means? It means that when you exercise your spiritual gifts in the calling that you're designed for, and you've got to learn those things, of course, but once you do, you're proclaiming his victory over sin and death. 
When was the last time you thought about your gifts in that way? That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that when you carry out your gifts, you're carrying out the victory parade. You're making a, a declaration. You're swearing your allegiance to him. He's my king. He is my Lord. And I dare not use his great, gracious gifts in any other manner than the first priority is to build up the body of Christ. Part of what our training is about, friends, this afternoon over lunch is to, to help you get there. It's to give you opportunities to think about City Church in 24, about ways you can do that. But listen, hear me on this. It is not about making a better church here physically. Something I'm talking about we are the church. We are the church universal. And so between the Sundays, into our families, into our workplaces and spaces, into our neighborhoods, we have the opportunity to declare him, not just with our tongues, but with our lives. How we choose to know our gifts, align our gifts with his calling in our life, which is his gift to us. And so what do you do? What do, what do we want to happen? Say, I'm committed, Scott. I'm committed to take that plunge today, here shortly, but beyond today as well. It isn't just simply about the training today. We want to build momentum. We want to be a more vibrant church. You know, I, I look at who we are and I think about things like, we want to be a more outward-facing church. A church where we can say, man, those with the gifts of service and mercy can say, man, I want to leverage that in ways to go out beyond the walls of Sunday morning. What if, what if we're that sort of church, as I've said, having a vision that we could be a church where, where the people of our city say, if city church were ever go away, we would bemoan that day with you. That's the vision. That's the goal. And so that we would not just simply serve ourselves, but we'd serve the world. And so let us be that church, inward and outward, certainly everywhere. But may we be that church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of grace. Thank you for the graces that you give us, that you've designed us to be leaders and shepherds, to serve mercy, compassion, evangelism. We could go on and on and on. All these gifts, some more public than others, but all of them equal, all of them beauty, all of them the body of Christ. City Church is far from perfect. I don't need to say that. Lord, you know that. We're on a journey. But may we be on a journey further up and further in. May we look more and more like you. May, may the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle come together in such a way that people see the image of Christ. They see that's the puzzle that we've been building. And so may we be that church in 24 and beyond. May you be glorified in our flesh and our spirits. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. And now...